this is the education show unlocking opportunities in teaching and learning through collaboration proudly brought to you by zabuza.net and once more it is another edition of the education show it's so good to have you along with us man i'm excited today i've got two great guests okay and i'm going to introduce you to them one at a time and these gentlemen have done so much that I'm going to let you tell them what they currently do. And then we're going to discuss a little bit about how they got to where they have. So first off, we're going to uh, say good morning and welcome to you, Dr. Franca. How are you this morning? I am good, David, and I'm glad to be here. Fantastic stuff. Now, you've, you've got a whole like laundry list of things that you have done and do do. And it's so, so let's go through uh, a little bit. Tell me where you currently are, what you're currently doing. So, David, I'm currently employed at the Cape Peninsula University of Technology in the Faculty of Informatics and Design. And I'm a senior lecturer in the Department of Information Technology. Wow. Okay. So before, but I mean, there's also, goodness me, I, I see here, as I'm reading through my notes here, you're an external council member on behalf of the Department of Higher Education and Training uh, okay. at the College of Cape Town. You head up a CPUT TVET collaboration project on higher certificate in ICT. You do a lot of stuff, Dr. Franca. So, so tell me a little bit about yourself. I mean, how on earth did you sort of from growing up, where did you grow up? Give me a bit of your childhood, a bit of your background, and how did you end up where you are today? Thanks, David. Yeah, I guess one has to do a bit more than just simply watch Netflix and sport on TV. So I tend to occupy my time with educational matters. So you're correct. I do serve as external member on the College of Cape Town. I also correct, as you said, we at CPUT, we've initiated this higher certificate in ICT, and I'm sure we can pick that up later in our discussion as to what that means for learners. And so my journey began with several years ago, as you might pick up from the tone of voice, on the Cape Flats in, 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 in Cape Town. I attended just your average Joseph School, you know, and um, then came the 80s with the school unrest and as a school uh, activist at the time, fighting for the greater cause. I, interestingly enough, in the context of this discussion today, didn't finish my matric and due to several uh, socio-political um, cases that was happening at the time. And then I went to work in a factory and I looked at the situation there and realized that if I wanted to do something with my life, I would have to get my matric. So as a 20-year-old, I returned in 1987, I returned to school to complete my matric certificate. And um, after that, I then went on to do a diploma in education at the, the, what was then known as the Hewitt College of Education. So I completed that in three years, and then I started teaching, got married, and started a family. But during that time, I always realized the need to further my education. And uh, a friend and I, we started a studies at UNISA, trying to get further, further our education. 
you know, and life happened as a young married person with a family, um, holding a full-time job. I didn't complete that qualification then. And then I went on and there was always this aggravation in me to know that I should continue my studies beyond my initial diploma in education. So I then started private education. And again, probably interesting in the context of what we're going to be talking about today. I did a diploma in human resources management. And that was an amazing experience because that took me into the world of business and getting to understand how businesses run. I then completed that diploma and moved on into higher education. I was offered a position in higher education as an academic at the time. And from there, I then did my my bachelor's in technology, which is known as the BTEC degree in business administration at what was then known as Cape Technicon. I did that. And interestingly enough, before that, I started a Bachelor of Commerce at another university, which I also didn't complete. So my story consists of two incomplete um, programs that I started. But nevertheless, I then finished the BTEC in Business Admin. And then as an academic at the time at, at the Cape Technicon, I, was, I came across the Nelson Mandela Scholarship to, to do a master's degree. Um, and as things worked out, I applied and I was accepted. And I was very honored to be a recipient of the Nelson Mandela Scholarship. And I took, uprooted my family, a very young family at the time, and a willing wife to give up her job. She then, we all went over to Australia. And for effectively over a span of just less than two years, I completed a master's in information management and systems. And then on my return, at least another 10 years later, I started my PhD in information technology. And approximately two and a half, three years ago, I then qualified with a doctor in IT. So that is who I am. I'm trying to package 54 years in a few minutes, but just in terms of the academic um, journey, that is who I am. But um, what I'm trying to highlight here is that my academic journey consists of two incomplete programs. And I hope that serves as inspiration to our audience ultimately, you know, that even if one doesn't complete something initially, one has to seize the opportunity at the later stage to make good on what one has started. Absolutely. Yeah, so David, that's my story for now. Certainly is inspiring, Dr. Franco. That, that is amazing. I think um, on a lighter note, though, I'm quite glad mm. that you didn't bring an Aussie accent back, though. No worries, mate. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hard. <laughs> let's let's uh, let's move along now to our, our other uh, distinguished guest this morning, Dr. Muswaba. Uh, welcome to you, Dr. Muswaba. It's so great to have you with us here as well. Give us a little bit of your your background because you've also got a whole host of bits and pieces and amazing things that you've done. Tell me a little bit about that. 
Thank you, David. Um, are you hearing me? Yes, we got you loud and clear. Thank you. Thank you, David. Yes, yeah, I have traveled. Um, when I went out of Africa, I was only on a visit, unlike Dr. Frank, who then decided to do some studies and complete outside and never completed this site. <clears throat> um, my journey is as follows. I grew up in a rural setup. Did my, the then called um, ordinary level around 1988 and then uh, 89, 91, 92, I did advanced level in Cambridge, um, completed it and straight away I went to train as a teacher, mathematics diploma. From there, I then left for work in a rural setup and whilst I was in the rural setup, I then studied my um, studies. I feathered my studies with the, the then Tswane Technical and Pretoria, where I did my BTEC. That was far back in 1997. After which I then enrolled as a student for business administration master's with Zimbabwean University. I completed it after four years of which I then enrolled with the Chartered Institute of Secretaries and Administrators, uh, which I completed in 2005, and I graduated as a Chartered Secretary, after which I then enrolled for a diploma in Human Resources, and then I completed it after two years and then I then left. I then left teaching, went into administration, um, I, and then I became um, um, a deputy director in charge of finance and administration in Zimbabwe, uh, minister of education and 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 and, and um, culture, where I stayed for a few years. And then I decided, no, I must now get into the private sector. I left the education sector and I went into compliance sector. I became a CEO of the Pharmacist Council of Zimbabwe, where I stayed for three years, after which I was then told to go back home. Then I came here. When I came here, I rejoined the department, the then Department of Education. And um, it was a, a major between higher education and basic education. And we were the pioneers of the disaggregation of the two, where we then went in 2008 to form the Department of Higher Education and Training. I was still working, but now under a Tivet College, under the project major. Um, by then, I had already uh, enrolled as a student for Doctor of, Administra uh, Doctor of Administration with uh, the University of Technology, uh, Tswane in particular. From 2009, I then graduated in 2012 and then confirmed in 2013. In terms of my proceedings with, uh, with studies, I then joined the 
uh, field of theology because I am a Christian. I wanted to save in the church. So I joined and then started studies, which I completed. But also after acquiring all those qualifications, I was taken back to the department where one of the things that I did there was issues of compliance, as I have indicated earlier on, which then forced me to enroll for a master's in labor law. And then I, I, I then um, enrolled with the, the University of Western Cape and completed uh, in 2019. Uh, although I'm still old, I'm now old, I'm still going on with education because I believe education makes someone young, makes someone relevant, and makes someone empowered. So I graduated in 2019 with a, a, a master's in labor law. But in terms of my career, let me also take the, that route again. I, after joining the department, I then co continued to work with the TVET sector in middle management position. I was taken by the Department of Higher Education and Training again back to head office, where I was in charge of university governance and compliance. I worked there for two years, and immediately after the TVET sector realized that they'd lost someone, I was called back to serve in the TVET sector again. And finally, the department said, no, go and become a CEO and principal of, a, of a, a national college. I think in that way, you will have to serve in a bigger role. So I am here in College of Cape Town as the principal of the College of Cape Town after being appointed by the minister, his honorable Dr. Nzimande. That is my story. If you have got anything to ask, maybe what I have left, I will be in a position to answer to you. That is my story, David. Wow. <laughs> Dr. Muswaba, just very much like Dr. Franke, you, you certainly have sort of taken to this, this whole education and learning thing. I think I've got two serial scholars on my hands here, and that's a good thing. Uh, and I'll tell you why I think it's a good thing, because uh, I never I never got to go to university as such. And, and subsequent to that, I've studied various different things, et cetera, et cetera. And I've become a fan of, of this whole concept of lifelong learning, because I believe if you stop learning, you stop growing. And, and our whole purpose is to grow as much as we can as human beings. Mm -hmm. However, one of the main reasons I wanted to talk to you gentlemen today is We've got students that are, are now progressing through their school careers. And then we get to, in my day, to show you how old I am, it was still called matric. We didn't have grades. But then you get to this point in your life and everybody turns around and says, do right. What do you want to do with your life? And yeah. you sort of think about that for a while and you go, oh, I'm, I'm 17 or I'm 18. I'm not too sure what I want to do with my life, but let me have a look. And that's where things start to get very confusing. Now, as I said, I'm no expert in this. In my day, you either went to university or you went to a college. That was it. There was no nothing else in between. Uh, but some people don't know if they can, don't know if they should. So let's start off there. Dr. Franca, yeah. maybe you can, can talk to me uh, a little bit about a learner that is now 
sort of even the guys that are now looking to to do something now or maybe that mm. towards the end of the year where does where does one start i mean how many different academic institutions are there that we can look at absolutely indeed uh, david the, the the landscape of further education because i think we need to distinguish when a learner finishes um grade 12 they've basically finished their basic education and beyond that is the this this notion of further and higher education that they will now embark upon and the 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 this there are myriad of options in in the sense that you know essentially we are faced with one huge problem in south africa let me start by saying that we have at least 1 million unemployed graduates that exist in south africa so what does that mean that means that people beyond matric went on to study with the hope of making some kind of success and by and large financial success for themselves as well as for their families and that that is obvious you know people want to progress but unfortunately after having completed their studies they now find themselves in a position where they can't gain employment despite the fact that they have some kind of qualification so to say so the biggest choice that i would believe that any matriculant would have to make is do i want to acquire a skill or do i want to acquire some kind of theoretical knowledge in other words do i want to become an applied um, skilled person that can become economically active as soon as i qualify with whatever i might study or do i want to go on a career a profession mm-hmm. over a number of years and then get into let's call it the professional jobs that exist out there and in but in saying that i can understand exactly why people would opt for the university option first simply because it is it, university education is seen as a conduit out of the reality that many of our south african students find themselves in which is by and large poverty the socio economic position has placed them in a position where they need to earn money not only for themselves but probably for the for much of their family so they see universities as that option because if one scans the employment um online portals that exist out there which i incidentally would advise any matriculant to be doing is to be looking at what jobs exist out there i just just as in prepping for this i looked at what are the top paying jobs in south africa for 2021 and right on top are lawyers then it managers medical specialists petroleum engineers air traffic controllers management consultants chartered accountants and actuaries Now, if one looks at that then it is quite obvious that one would have to do a university education to get into any of those and those are the things that people are attracted by the fact high earning high paying salaries that would obviously set them up for life so the university is the obvious choice they are also the tvet colleges which um dr muswabe and i both represent in in some way or another and then there's also this notion of the university of technology 
at which I work. And there's a distinction between traditional universities, academic universities, that is. So typically in the Western Cape, you have academic universities like University of Cape Town, U University of the Western Cape, and Stellenbosch University, for instance. Those are your traditional um, academic universities. Then you have a role player known as the Cape Peninsula University of Technology, which is a university of technology. And it has a very, very specific function in that we are looking at applied knowledge in those instances, right? And then, as I said, you have your TVET colleges, which cater for the skills. And Dr. Muswaba could speak um, in far greater detail for that. Then, of course, that represents what is known as your public further or higher education sector, because it is state-sponsored. On the other hand, of course, one has the private providers of education as well. And there are numerous players in there that provide private education, and it's generally speaking catered for particular jobs where skills and knowledge can be acquired to do a particular job. So in my introduction, I spoke about the fact that I did, for instance, a diploma in human resources management that was done at one of these private colleges. So I went there and I wanted to learn specifically what the aspects of human resources management are, and that is where I then did this diploma. So the landscape is wide and it caters for different needs. I would advise anybody in making the decision is to make an educated one. Do some research, as I said, have a look at the online job portals, look at what the jobs are for the next five years, what the top jobs are going to be, etc. Look at what the needs are and then make a decision and make a realistic decision because unfortunately, studying for a number of years brings about its own challenges. You know, there's huge um, in the media, obviously, the issues around financing of education and so forth. So there are financial demands. There are just general demands that life places on our youth when they go into education that will determine whether they are going to be successful or not. So it is a difficult decision. Many of the institutions have advisors that our youth can speak to before making such choices. And of course, there's this wonderful thing known as the internet that can also educate anybody wanting to pursue a particular uh, career or study path as to how they can improve their chances and to see whether they really are geared up for a particular career or not. Yeah. Yeah. So, Over to you, lots, of, lots of information there, Dr. Franke. One of the things that I've come across, and I'm going to direct uh, this next uh, question to Dr. Muswaba. Uh, there's, there's a couple of things. Uh, in, my, in my other side of my life, um, I do a, a business-related uh, radio show, and I was chatting to somebody a little while ago on that show, and they were saying, you know, similar stats to you in terms of how many unemployed graduates we have, and yet in terms of artisans and skilled people like electricians and plumbers and fitters and turners and boilermakers, there's a, there's a shortage in this country. 
And, and, you know, I remember in my day, you know, that was the thing that you were told to do is you were told to, to go out and you were expected to go to university. I, I mentioned before we started the recording to you, Dr. Franca, that, um, you know, according to my parents, when I, when we, when I was growing up, um, you either had to become a doctor or a lawyer or an accountant or a banker. Even a banker in those days was considered a good job. But these were in times when you would get one job and you would keep that job for life. Um, I was a huge disappointment when I went and became a radio presenter, but they, they came around eventually. But I was never, ever qualified. And my brain doesn't work in that way where I could have studied and gotten a degree. So, Dr. Mishwaba, talk to me a little bit in terms of that. Do we still have these unrealistic expectations of our young people? And, and you know, is something where you can be more hands-on, is that a good option? Thank you very much, David. I think you have brought this discussion at the right time, especially under this, um, you know, economic meltdown, which started as far back as 2008, and then moving towards uh, the the 21st century of um, where we have now this COVID um, COVID 19 thing. But to, to, to come back to your issue, the reason why I'm saying this is very important, an important question. It is important because the generation, our previous generation, I would also consider myself um, a contributor of that uh, bad influence or traditional influence. Uh, within our education sector as far as, as well as the economy, in that we have not realized one important area, David, which is the area to say, what makes an economy? Um, it is not unfortunate that when you look at King Code 4, coming back, I think, to King Code 3, we talk of the triple bottom line, and those are those uh, the, the three uh, pillars are very important. But coming back to education, one would want to use the same and say we have three pillars that makes an economy tick. And in the education sector, the three pillars are the academic pillar, the skills pillar, and the talent pillar, which one would want to call the SAT model or the SET model. And very few people are aware of this set model. Um, and for those who are aware of the set model, like Finland, Germany, then you will realize that the most important thing is not to stand on one leg, which is the academic. And unfortunately in Africa, and in South Africa in particular, we have been indoxicated to think that the academic component is the most important one. Mm. Whereas when you look at countries like Germany, Finland, and to some extent France, have realized the importance of the SAT model. And at a very early age, they know that talent in itself can contribute to the economy. And they have a number of academies which promote talent. And remember, talent is not taught. Talent is promoted. You promote talent. You promote soccer. You don't teach soccer. You promote singing. 
you don't teach singing. Someone has to go and dream singing somewhere. And those are the things that we have come to realize when people talk about geniusity. To say, oh, someone is a genius. In our own understanding and in our generation, we think when we say someone is genius, intelligent, then that someone is coming from university. And because of that notion and because of that um, mindset, we don't see those who are in the proper talent as being genius and intelligent. We talk of Ronaldo, we talk of Messi, we talk of um, uh, the, the current you know, best players in rugby and so forth. And even singing, there are some who are millionaires and billionaires in singing. And in Europe, we have got a lot of competitions that are being held for the actors. That is talent. That has nothing to do with a university degree. But when you look at the chunk of the income and the, how it is contributing to the economy, one can then see that there is need to promote these three pillars. However, when you look at uh, Africa and ourselves currently, we are still in a closet where we think higher education and university in particular is the answer to my problem without realizing the talent in which you have. And there is no any other class of talent except the three talents. It's either an academist, a talentist, or a skillist. And in Tibet sector, we always promote skillist. We are saying skills, skills, skills. We don't care that you can write a very good essay. What we care about is what you use with your eyes and hands. And from there, we then look at the economy and say, do we need these people? Do we need these skills? And it is common cause that these skills are required. Go to any other field, there is the use of eyes and hands without using, without training your mind. Mind will be there to direct you, but the skill, the use of skills and hands is what is on the cards. If you look at Finland, like what I've said in my studies, it is observed that it is one of the countries with the least number of unemployed youths. And when you look at the youths in Finland, you will see that most of them are using their skills hands. There is the greatest number of Tibet colleges uh, students in Finland than universities. They've even come up with, here we have got University of Technology, there they've got University of Technologies, but aligned to Tibet sector to promote the skills or training of the trainers in the Tibet sector. So is Germany. So in, 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 in light of your question and your, 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 your line of thinking, South Africa has moved a little bit closer. South Africa is moving towards that mindset to say, we are, our economy is made up of three pillars. And this is the reason why the history of South Africa in the whole of Africa, and is the only one in Africa where we are using the word Tibet sector, technical vocational uh, uh, training, as opposed to polytechnic. The two are different. Technical vocational is technical in nature, it's skills promotion. 
And it is at this point in time uh, that we are preaching this gospel, uh, David, to say, bring your student, bring your children who can provide evidence of skills. Taking, for example, the College of Cape Town, we have always said, let's have a diversified niche-related teaching and learning. It is quite true that uh, Dr. Frank talks about technical colleges providing applied knowledge, meaning to say our component of knowledge is tilted in terms of percentage towards application, the use of hands, the use of eyes. And when you look at our uh, programs, for example, the centers of specialization, which we have currently, where we are talking of automotive motor mechanics, we are not going to produce an engineer, an engineering motor mechanic. We are going to produce an artisan, a person who can get under a car, strip the car and put it back without even asking the, the name of the part, but knowing that this part is going to, to end up in this area and this part will be uh, combined with this one, that is the person we want. We are also talking about hair care and therapy. And in, in universities, we don't talk about that. We talk about chemical chemistry, how to produce those chemicals that can produce, uh, that can be used in the hair, in the hair uh, beauty and beauty and nail, whatever. But the skill of using those chemicals on your hair, David, I, I understand you have just gone to a, to a hair center today. The skill of using that, the skill of manipulating the hands into your head, the skill of not burning you, this, all those things, you don't need to go to university. You need to be taught using these skills. You need to be taught at an academy, at a TVET college, where applied knowledge is. So you, can, you are correct to say this generation, our generation and the previous generation, is the ones that must move towards the needs of the economy, rather than them pushing the economy towards the cliff. The three sets of economic uh, promotion, which is the three pillars, the skills. This is high time that skills should be realized at a very, very early age. Give your child your phone number, your phone, the child can fiddle with your phone without even knowing any, any, any name of the button, anything. And if your phone is not working, you give it to a young child, to your young son or daughter, and they can fix it and bring it back to you. But if you ask them, do you know all the things that you have used there? I don't know. They are using the eyes, they know them, and they can apply, and they can take. This is an indication that skills are also part and parcel of the economy, as opposed to only academy. But what I'm saying is that let us give those who have got the capacity to research that capacity to do it, but also give the same capacity and same respect to those who have got skills to do it. Currently, we are embodied by two oceans. And when you go to Cape Point, you realize what I'm talking about. We have the Indian Ocean and we have the Atlantic Ocean. The question is, 
Do we need skills in, that, in those oceans? And the answer is yes. And how many of these skills are being taught in South Africa? None. Why? Because you need a person who, who is qualified, who has got the highest points in university to be what? To be torch bearer under the sun, to do welding, what we call undersea welding. Undersea welding doesn't require a university degree, it requires a skill, hands and eyes. It is only when you go there and ask that you realize that you don't need this. And let me tell you something to Patrice what I'm saying. It is interesting, David, it is interesting, David, to note that we, we as a college have managed to enroll a student we never went to grade 12, never reached grade 12. He only ended at grade seven. But because of his immense skills, we ended up enrolling him to do uh, apprenticeship. And to tell you the truth today, he has completed his three-year apprenticeship, he has acquired his artisanship. After which he refused to go to work. He has opened his own academy and is now training more academies without matric. So it is possible when we look at skills, it is quite possible when we look at what are the contributions of the economy. The contributions of the economy equally is not only academy, is not only skills, is not only talent, but the three of them integrated can bring that. So it is our gospel in the TVET sector to say, we want those who have skills to come to us. Let us promote their skills and let them be, go back to the economy and contribute. That is the reason why artisans are very few. It is because of our own policies. This old and previous generation, where we, we are still clinging on the wrong perception that academy is the only salvation. When in actual fact, we have the other three that are lagging behind. And to close, I think David will agree with me even today that we are taking talent lightly. Instead of prom promoting talent more, we are taking it lightly. And that is the reason why talent currently is not visible in the, in the eyes of our young children. Go to Europe. A child goes to an academy of soccer at a very early age. You will be told by a person who has been in the acting industry and will tell you that I started acting when I was two or three or four. And then I was taken to academy off and then they produced there and then they, they, they moved forward. We have people who have said, you know what? At a very early age, I knew that I was a rugby player. And this is the reason why I am where, this is the reason why I am where I am now. Without derog derogation or anything, if you look at the directorship of sport, be it any other sport, others will tell you that I've never been at a school, I've never been, sorry, at a university. I went to basic education for the purpose of reading and writing, and here I am as a director of cricket. What is required is not the degree, 
what is required is direction. Then you take those who have got degrees to come and develop policies. Theirs is to develop policies after directing them as directors of cricket because I was a player. So David, we have a long way to go and we still have a long way to go. It is ourselves who should be able to preach the gospel of the triple bottom line in academic and ensure that our children are attracted individually and personally without forcing them into areas which they don't want. Wow. Lastly, lastly, David, there is a term that is being used currently. And this term is so, so threatening. I thought at first it was because of age, but I'm seeing that it is moving towards even this issue of forcing children to do certain things. A child finishes matric and says, I'm going to take a gap year. Why gap year? It is not uncommon that the child does not want to go and do the degree that he said he must go and do. Actually, the child wants to be a singer. But because they are afraid of the parents, they will take a gap year just to relieve themselves. And then they continue with a journey that they will never finish because they don't want it. And this is the conundrum. And this is the crisis that we are moving towards. And that crisis is going to redefine the triple bottom line of the King Court, which talks about sustainability for the future generations. That will be my submission, David. Thank you. Wow. Dr. Muswaba, um, so many, so many vital, valid points that you made there. And I can't help thinking, and I think back to, to my parents, and I, I mentioned, you know, that uh, me not wanting to become a doctor or a lawyer or one of those was, was a huge problem for them. But you hit the nail on the head there because how many people are being forced into this, you will get legitimacy if you have a degree, a degree will open the doors. And yet these are people that are just not wired to do that. I mean, if you put me in a university setting now and said, right, go for it, I would fail miserably because my mind does not work like that. Let's, let's go back to you very quickly, uh, Dr. Franca. Uh, in, in terms of, of, of parents themselves, do you think that, that it is true that we are pushing our expectations onto our children? Because as you said, a, a degree is very often seen as a way out, a way out of the struggle, a way out of poverty. But then on the other hand, you get like more than a million people that are sitting with degrees and still have no work. Where, where do we go? I agree with that, David. I think um, I do understand as a parent, um, just as personally, I've just had two two um, children graduate, so I know what it's like. You know, we all want the best for our, our kids. So, and as I said earlier on, the best seems to be seen as the university qualification. But I think we need to, as a society, to start debunking the myth, you know. You are a good example of that, of people that have not necessarily gone through, and we must distinguish between formal and informal education, I think. It's imperative that we do that. That there are many, many successful people that have not gone through 
what is the traditional or formal education route and have made a huge success of their life. So I know people personally like that, you know, that have gone into business, not necessarily done any university um, uh, studies, but have progressed in life in a, in a huge way. So my first advice would be to debunk the myth. And how do we do that? It's about the conversations we have in our homes. It's the conversations around the open fire, whatever we might be doing around the open fire, to say that there is nothing wrong with not going to university. You know, we need to start taking the glossiness away uh, from these institutions that that is the only answer. I'm sure if one did an analysis of that million graduates, one would probably see that many of the, the, the people that are unemployed among those graduates are possibly graduates that have done a particular, call it soft option course at the university. And I'm saying this very respectfully now in terms of choices that people make, but it wasn't necessarily the kinds of degrees that would eventually give them a job. So one would ask then, did they simply go to the university to get a break from the home? You know, a three-year gap a period, of, and, and, and Dr. Muswaba touched on this notion of the, of the gap year, and that's something that I also want to talk about also. But, uh, you know, was there some kind of career guidance either given within the family circles or outside of that as to what is this qualification going to lead you to? I'm, for instance, um, my, my um, area of expertise lies in information technology. And as you may or may not know, given the, the, the whole dawn of the fourth industrial revolution, that information technology is a huge um, player in, in 4IR. And I can see it by way of the applications that we get for um, people wanting to, to start studying IT. I, for instance, get um, where a situation where we can only take, for instance, 300 students into the diploma in IT, and I would easily get 3,000 applicants. So there's a one in 10 chance of somebody coming in to study IT, for instance, because people wisely and thankfully have realized that a career in information technology is probably going to get them a job ultimately. And I can't speak scientifically as to what our IT placement rates are, but what I do know is when our third year students go out to industry, because another advantage of the University of Technology is that half of the final year of studies, they already get placed in, in industry and they work alongside companies, they work for companies. Many of those students get offered employment right there and then. So it is all about the choices that we, or the discussions we have in our homes, as I say, as parents, as to how we guide. And of course, it's not that easy because we sit with a, with a generation of young people that think they know everything and, you know, that um, at some point they become far more intelligent than us. But it has to be a conversation in some way or another, and an educated one as to how we get our, our kids to follow a, a, a reasonable career or a reasonable choice of study that will give you a good chance of gaining employment, or of course, 
creating employment, which is another field of its own around the entrepreneurship aspect that we have to um, also possibly speak about. But the notion that I want to pick up is around the gap year, which comes along with this. There are obviously pros and cons around this, 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 the notion of taking a gap year. I think the gap year are for privileged homes where uh, uh, kids can go off either nationally or internationally and gain find themselves for a year. Now, I don't think that the average household in South Africa has that privilege. But if it is that um, kids want to take a gap year, then what I would advise is that that gap year must lead them towards something. In other words, they must have an idea of what they're wanting to do, and they would have to then go and try and apply themselves in the world that would advance them towards that career choice. So, for instance, if your, your, your intention is that you would want to explore information technology by way of example, then you mustn't go and flip burgers for a year in a, in a uh, fast food place because the flipping the burgers is not going to assist you in any way with information technology. Rather, align yourself with a company. There are these notions of internships and um, things like that where one can then try and do an internship or learnership with a particular um, employer that will then stimulate or enhance your, your interest in whatever you're wanting to do. And then when one eventually comes back and want to do the formal studies, that you have some kind of base from which to work. So, yeah, just on that point, I think that's where I'll hand over to you, David. Oh, yeah, you see, I'm 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 still of the old school, and this whole concept of a gap year is just a totally foreign concept to me. It's like, mm. wow, what do you need a year off for? You know, but that's mm. that's me. But just talking as as we are, uh, you know, one of the things that that it, it is has rung true for me is, for example, getting into the radio industry, the broadcasting industry. There's no course for that. You can't get a degree for it. That's that's getting your feet dirty and getting in there. I mean, when I was sort of growing up in my radio career, I spent many a night sleeping on a radio station floor. But by the same token, when you talk about technology, what we're doing now is, is something that I would never have thought of before. Um, to me, I was a radio presenter. I interviewed people. You had to have bums in seats, people in front of you that you could see and interact with. We've now been forced to change things. But one of the things is there's only a certain amount of jobs available for radio presenters. Mm -hmm. However, by using technology, you can start your own little radio show now. You can do podcasts like I do. And suddenly the world is your oyster. That's technology. But, you know, for people to look in that direction, I don't think it's something that people have, have looked at. There's certain people um, and, and colleges, et cetera, et cetera, who've gotten onto the idea of broadcasting because it sounds sexy. And I cannot tell you the amount of people I've seen coming through radio station doors that have now got their three-year diploma in broadcasting and the people go, well, sorry, you don't have a voice for radio. There's only that many broadcasters. And these people have spent a lot of money and they've got a piece of paper that essentially can get them nowhere. So it's something that, that definitely needs to be addressed and addressed more aggressively. We're running out of time though, gentlemen. So, so let me go back to uh, you, Dr. Miswaba. In wrapping up, 
What is your advice to somebody who is listening now, whether they be a parent, uh, they're a learner, or they're an educator? And what would you, your single most valuable piece of advice be to these people going forward? Thank you, David. I think my advice is to the older generation. I always refer to the older generation and the generation that is current, and which is the one that is going to take over from us. To the older generation, I'm saying to them, please, let's change our mindset. Mm. Uh, if the culture is changing and we are clinging to the old culture, it is only to the advantage of yourselves, but it is not forward-looking. It is not a long-term vision. We should leave for our children our legacy, but also allow them to move forward. I would like to make it clear that, yes, I'm one of them who thinks that the child can only be a child when they go to school, to university, sorry, to university. But it has proved that if we support what we call a holistic child, some total child, a child who has got some talents that can be referred to as contributory to the economy, if we are going to promote those things, we are not only promoting the child, but we are also promoting the, the economy. And in promotion of economy, we are expanding the industry in which the talent is. And that industry, if it becomes sustainable, then it is able to feed the other generations that come. It is common cause, David, that people will always produce services or goods where there is more demand. But if the supplies, if the supply becomes more than the demand, then there is tendency to reduce the price. But it is only the, it is on, not only the catastrophe of the reduction of the price, but there is likelihood that some of the supplied services or goods can find themselves not in the market, but at the dump site, because there is too much supply. Overemphasis of universities has led to competition in universities producing certain qualifications that are, they are oversupplying. Hence, at the end of the day, after getting that particular qualification, you find yourself with no demand for its service. And you sit and we start to denigrate and we start to, you know, demotivate people to say going to university is wrong. Look at that child, what is he doing? Which is not correct. The correct thing is there is oversupply of that service. At some point, you will find that it will tell. No one on earth can tell me that there is shorter supply of a particular service in every, every field of university. I don't believe it. The reason being why after a person getting an actuarial degree, which we say is this case resource, will find himself out of the country. It's because he's looking for a job. If he's looking for a job, it means here he failed to get one. Mm. 
Not that he's looking for money because money can be obtained anyway. He's looking for a job. So the supply of, ed of education services or university degrees has become an overemphasis by the old and our generation. And the diversion of focus towards skills and talent has killed those uh, fields or industries to the extent that there is always insufficient supply. Yet we have oversupply of certain areas. And that is the reason why I'm saying scientifically, it can be proven that academic is not only the mainstay of the economy, but the three of them are equally important. Thank you, David. Wonderful stuff. Thank you, Dr. Muswaba. Uh, Dr. Franke, if we can uh, just hand over to you quickly for your closing thoughts. Yes, David. I think um, any um, motivational speaker will always have some kind of um, acronym. So let me close with my acronym, Franke's 3P model, which speaks to passion, performance, and perspiration. You know, David, um, I think both my story and Dr. Muswaba's story is, speaks about passion, performance, and perspiration. And just anecdotally, I was thinking around the passion aspect. Um, in our department a few years back, I registered a visually impaired student to study IT and a paraplegic student to study IT. And it was just remarkable to see the, these two individuals' passion to succeed in life, despite all the challenges that life has presented them with. You know, just to see how and how they've progressed and completed their studies in IT. And obviously, I mean, it's a, it's a wonderful story and a book to be written about the successes of these two individuals. So that speaks to people's passion. The notion of the performance, I want to encourage people who are now in matric, is to perform now already. Your career is already, has already started. And with all these challenges that the pandemic has unfortunately presented us with, you know, that if you work now and you, and you perform well in matric, it gives you far greater options as to what you would want to study. Because too often people want to choose a particular career at the university, for instance, but the, unfortunately the grade 12 results don't support that passion that they would want to study in a particular career. So perform, perform now. And when you get that privilege of studying further beyond matric, perform in your studies there too, because life is expensive. Somebody supports you while you are studying, whether it is directly your parents or your, your relatives that would support you, because I know of many instances of students being supported by their local communities, or whether it's just the general taxpayer supporting the funding. Somebody does support you. So perform when you have the, the, the privilege of studying beyond matric. And then the perspiration is obvious. You need to sweat. You know, you need to put in the hard yards. You need to sacrifice the going out with friends when assignments and projects and exams are are close by and that you would have to put in the hours there of studying and progressing and getting your qualification. 
So that, David, is my 3P model that I want to leave with our youth. Thank you. Wonderful stuff. Gentlemen, thank you. Uh, this, has been, this has been so enlightening. And I, and I think the thing is, uh, if there's anything to take away from this, is that we all, as, as parents, as educators, as learners, we've got a long way to go. But mm. the journey is part of the process, and we need to embrace that journey and look at our different options. So, gentlemen, thank you. It wraps it up for this edition of The Education Show. To each and every one of you, take care, look after yourselves, and thank you for listening. That was The Education Show. Simply learn. Join the conversation on zibuza.net. That's Z-I-B-U-Z-A dot net.